With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. Did you know you can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases when you sign up for direct deposit? Learn more at navyfederal.org. Never quit. Never quit. Never quit radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Don't buckle up, Buttercup. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit Podcast. I want to introduce you guys. If this is your first time ever listening, you've got two great hosts, Morgan Luttrell, Marcus Luttrell. What's up, guys? Who's greater? Ooh. Is that the Patreon question of the day? No. (laughs) Good thing. You said good. great. <laughs> great is. We've got a cool Patreon question. Uh, I think it's cool. I think it's just a, a good going forward question with the new year upon us coming coming soon. What is one thing you're excited about that's coming up in 2022? Well, I've kind of got a lot going on. A couple things. <laughs> <laughs> so you're running for Congress. That's a big deal. You know, <laughs> I'm kind of getting excited. The different, the different uh, COVID variations coming out. This the Omicron one. What's the next school name? I mean, there's a lot of Greek letters in the alphabet before Omicron. I'm just where they came up with that guy. Because there's 50 variants right now, right? This is not what I'm really excited about. I'm just bringing it up since you threw the Optimus Prime thing at me. I think it depends on how, how, how much more profit the pharma companies want. Boom. I'm just, I'm just going to leave that there, though. <laughs> Let that one stew for a little bit. 2022. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You don't what know? Do you guys, what do you got? I don't. Twenty twenty one's over. Maybe that'd be good. About I don't like be. the foreshadow. Let's just handle. Let's let's finish this year first. We still got a month. What about you guys? I'm excited for executing the business plan that we started to in 2019, and then got held up a little bit by a couple of various reasons, um, and then a stall after a stall after a stall. I'm excited to be able to push through it and really execute what we have been trying to do the last couple of years. I think that, I don't know, being locked down, Americans are funny. Like you can't even figure this out until you put us in a bad spot. Like the, like the different types, all like yeah. the military, this is how they did us, man. And you, you can see in the beginning it's chaos. Yeah. Like it was like when, the, when the pandemic hit in, in the 2020, the zero years, the balls years are always crazy, right? And you had 01. The balls years. Yeah, the balls years are always crazy. <laughs> it's like 2000, the millennium. Mm-hmm. And then in 01, what happened? We got hit. Y2K. Yeah, we got hit September 11th, right? No one. So our lives changed. And then we got hit again in 2020. And then 2021. So the 01s. What do you think of this shit? So, I mean, it's it's almost as if 
the the first part of us, our generation was separated. Like those of us that went to war, those that stayed back, right, and had to run the country. Yeah. Well, how would you make us uh, brothers again? You put us all in something, and they said that because the last two years people got pulled back in and kind of sit around and re- reflected on what they what they want, what's important, what's not important, and then it's kind of like digging in and ready to push. We didn't fall back, man. We just held held the line, and now it's time to push forward. I think twenty. 2022 is going to be like that. We'll see. We will see what 2022 has in store. That's that's a deep one, right? Hey, thank you guys for your Patreon question. If you want to ask your questions to the hosts, you can join us, patreon.com slash teamneverquit. we got a couple great guests in store today. Anthony Milton is the CEO of Tilted Concepts, and they own Tune Up, the Manly Salon, Balanced Foods, Martinis and Manicures. They've also got Michael David on the show, which is the active director of marketing for Tilted Concepts. What's up, guys? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks for guys. having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we I haven't had I, anybody in here with us in a while. It's been a while. And I was with uh, with them before. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I went to their house first. So we had to get <laughs> yeah. them out here. Nice like how we hit it in the barn? Yeah. Yeah. This is hit well, too. This is cool, man. Uh, yeah. Like you got Eventually, what'll happen is like when you walk in, we'll have a, there'll be an obstacle course. So you got to do some weights. <laughs> I'll go with that. I like that. You go outside and feed the chickens, <laughs> yeah. the cows. It'd be like a whole grand experience. And then if we can get an overnight guest, we'll sneak them in through the back and like drive them around the property so they don't know where in the hell they're at. Oh, that's dope, actually. <laughs> like a bat cave kind of deal. Yeah. My brother spends a lot of time on the lawnmower. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of shitty comes <laughs> up. You don't even believe it, man. It's, it is a... He called me up and he could roll that mower down. He's like, I got a great idea. <laughs> what if we do a zip line in a bat cave? Man, I got all kinds of booby traps and wires and everything. This is my compound. I got nothing better to do than do stuff like that. <laughs> is that what's going on over here? Uh, everywhere. Yeah, man. Hey, like, by the way, man, there is some machinery out here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like. Some, there's some, some toys. Some machinery. <laughs> yeah. See that, that earth mover that comes creeping out of the pond? That sucker's huge. Yeah. That thing has the most wheels on any machine I've ever seen. That thing wow. is crazy. It's, it's got the Bigfoot wheels? Yeah. yeah. I don't even know how many there are. I didn't build me a supercross track out here somewhere, so I have to go. Well, I got some extra dirt now. I see that. That's why I said it. We should just build it over there and jump the ponds. We'll get the uh, Nitro Circus. Oh, that'd be here. awesome. Sponsored by Tune Up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 100%. Cross, right? 100%, man. I can you get invited. You just get invited. Pretty awesome. We start this whole underground race, right? <laughs> this is like your sponsors don't want you to race this, but you come here. It's got like this. Fight Club. Yeah. All right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't talk about Fight Club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and here we find ourselves. How's Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was good. It was a busy one for me. Because you told me you had the family. 400 kids. I think. Yeah, all right. They got the whole Brady Bunch thing going on. It's pretty legit. <laughs> that seems like more than a Brady Bunch with four hundred. I have four kids. Oh, my four. Gr- my girlfriend has three, uh, and then my brother and sister-in-law have three. So we're all together at my parents' house for Thanksgiving. And my house is kind of unique because half the time there's nobody there, mm. and then I don't have the time there's seven kids there. So it's either just a level of insanity or absolute quietness. What are the, what are the, yeah, what's, what's the, the age range? Uh, Two 12-year-olds, three 10-year-olds, an 8-year-old, and a 6-year-old. That's a pretty good stack That's a sp- until I think a you spread. get to the puberty stage because then once you get one of them through, there'll be another one bounding in there. Mm. That's not going to stop for 10 years for me. Mm. i got to spread like what that about, too, man. What about your Thanksgiving? How'd, how'd it go? <laughs> Mine was different. A little different this year. Yeah, There's Pandora's box. Uh, yeah, oh, open man. it. Yeah, I'd explain <laughs> I'll, shit, I'll be transparent. Going through a divorce. Oh, oh wow. yeah. Oh man, and, I thought uh, you were gonna say something. You have to explain that. That's that's. I'm no, sorry. <laughs> look, life, man. Oh yeah. You know, and I've got two older kids, 
15 and 13. My son's the oldest. My daughter's 13, going on 30. Ah. God help me. And then uh, my wife, we have a little boy, two and a half years old, little Dax. He's little Mr. Personality. 15, 13, and a two-year-old? Two and a half, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Want me to lay down on the couch? <laughs> But but it it made it kind of like a little different, a little weird this year because uh, the older kids were with their mom, uh, they're out of town, and so just through kind of going through this whole process, it was just a little different. Yeah. So, but you know, you just you just kind of look at uh, and just for me, one of those forced things of this is where I'm at. But let's make the best of it. Hey, you glass know? is half full constantly. And what am I thankful for? Right? Because it's not poor me. It's oh, anybody says a glass half empty, never been thirsty. That's pretty deep. Yeah, I'll, I'll end that one it, for you so right does, there. So the t- so you had the two year old. She's a boy or girl? Boy. And the other two are? Boy, girl. Boy, girl. 15, 13. Oh, that's pretty good. Because my youngest Was just two of you, or did you have, like, other family around? Just two of us. Really? Yeah. My, my, all my family, uh, my mom and dad have passed. My stepdad lives in Mobile, and then all my extended family were in Oklahoma. Where so, at in Oklahoma? Uh, Tulsa, Okmulgee. That's where I was born. Uh, huh. Oklahoma City. Norman. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I got married for the, in Winniewood. Oklahoma, Tiger King. Yeah. <laughs> Is that where that was at? Yeah. Which they have new series out, which I haven't watched yet. Yeah. And are you an OU fan? Yeah. Or Oklahoma State? OU. OU? Yeah. So, Boomer. So our, our, our brother and best friend, I named my son after him. He's a strength coach for OU, Benny Wiley. Yeah. Huge deal. However, comma, apostrophe, semicolon. Lincoln Riley just got hired at USC. Mm-hmm. Is that where he went? Hate USC. <laughs> Is that where he's going? Because I'm a Longhorn. Yeah. All right. So, I, so I called. You guys football fans? Yeah. Big football. Yeah. So I called. I called Benny. I was like, Hey, man, we going to USC? <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I think he might be undecided. This LA, right? I told USC. Southern California. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a diehard college football guy. So like I live and breathe all this kind of stuff. LSU hired Notre Dame coach. Yeah, I saw that. Mm-hmm. And they're they're undefeated this season, right? Notre Dame. Yeah. Nah, they had a loss. I think. I think. Who's your Who's your team? OU. Straight up. What about you? I grew up in Colorado, and I happened to grow up in Colorado late '90s. So it was Cordell Stewart, the nah. good, the the three or four years of actually contenders. Uh-huh. <clears throat> They've been next to nothing for the last twenty years, just as I kind of faded off. But I went from Colorado to Austin. And I lived in Austin for two years during the UT victory with Vince Young. Yeah, run. Yeah. So I went from kind of a, a great team to an even better team yeah, during the run. Best football that game was 05, right? on the planet yeah. ever in history. Being downtown Austin an hour after they won, that was insanity. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> was, yeah. Still kind of partying on that. How'd y'all meet? Tinder. No, we were. Was it OnlyFans or what was that? Hey, man. Did you have that teed up? Because that came out really well. <laughs> no, we met through uh, um, his uh, uh, wife was a teacher at uh, daycare that my kids went to. Just kind of met indirectly, did some consulting work for us for our company for quite a while. I had some grandiose ideas that wanted to do with the company. I couldn't afford to hire him as a consultant. So I took the different path of bringing him on board direct. All right. Had an opportunity to do it. Stars kind of aligned. I never look back. Well, let's, let's walk this. Let's walk this back before we get out over our skis here, and uh, let's just start humble beginnings. Everybody likes. Everybody sees where you are now, but everybody like for us. Everybody sees 
what we accomplished now, but they never see where we came from. They're like, oh, you guys must have been just... Backstories are the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, let's tee this up. Uh, man, grew up. Um, I was born in Oakmogee, Oklahoma, and then uh, my parents, my mom and dad were both 21 hippies. And mom leveled up, and dad just wanted to, you know, keep smoking dope and party. And so they split after I was about a year old, and when they moved to Dallas. And my mom met my stepdad when I was about four. And uh, real Christian, religious man. Um, wasn't kind of like the throw the football kind of guy. So I kind of grew up as an only child. And my dad, my biological dad, had a couple of kids, uh, younger girls that are my sisters, that I went to go hang out with his family. And so I, was, I grew up in a weird dynamic that it was never awkward for me, but uh, I knew that some things were different. Um, but when my parents moved from Dallas to Northeast Texas, it was kind of a, they walked away from their house, uh, you know, back when the savings and loan thing kind of hit in the eighties and interest rates were going sky high and they were, you know, middle-class both working jobs. Dad was working nights and uh, comfortable as a kid. But then when we moved to East Texas, went to dead broke. Mom had a nervous breakdown. Dad was working three jobs, lived in this little teeny tiny house and had my drum set and my bike. And I was a cyclist since about the age of 12. And, uh, but it created a real volatile home. And my mom was bipolar, manic depressive, violent, abusive person. And so I just took the brunt of that growing up. And uh, so I kind of grew up in this real hostile environment. And uh, I had a, going to this private school, I earned this uh, uh, um, scholarship to ETBU in East Texas. I went for three semesters and just with life and having to work and I showed up to the house one day and all my shit was on the front porch. So I was like, I guess I'm not living here anymore. And I had to kind of figure my way and uh, ended up uh, working at McDonald's in the morning and at a cabinet factory at night and didn't have a car. So I walked from McDonald's to my apartment and uh, just was like, man, there's gotta be more in life. And uh, so my life kind of has been this and even Andrew asked me, he was like, you know, what's that never quit story? And I thought, I'm like, I don't have one. It's been my entire life. Yeah. Because every, everything, every, every time I hit something, it just goes to shit. And like when a lot of my buddies that I went to high school with, like it was just seemed like the whole path was, was paid for them. You know, a couple of them are doctors, a couple of them are lawyers. And here I am, 48 years old, and, you know, now, now facing divorce for the third time and got three incredible kids. Um, but all these things I've been going through in my life, it's been like just hitting brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. And it was after my first wife and I split and she left and uh, had a great job as an engineer for a cell phone company that I wasn't educated for, I had to work for. Uh, but 18 months just teaching myself and working with the crew and getting the opportunity. And uh, she left and I just kind of was caught up in this poor me party. And not having a college degree and just like, you know, God, why is it so effing hard for me? And um, I, I kept playing this victim. And I had this wake up moment and hmm, I'm that common thread. This is all me. This has nothing to do with my mom beating the shit out of me. This has nothing to do with about this going wrong, that going wrong. You know, I'm a cyclist and I, you know, I, I would get on my bike and that was my escape, but it was also my way to somehow find some self-confidence. You know, it's cause it, how fast, how far was up to me. That was my choice. And it, but it was also my way to kind of grind it out and get rid of some of that angst and frustration and anger and, you know, trying to deal with it. Uh, then being ostracized when I was in high school by my friends. And um, I just, I kept having to find this way and growing up in a Christian home, like I had these biblical principles, but I, 
faith is one of the been one of those really hard things for me because I, I I need something I can put my fingernails into, you know. I need something I can taste, I can feel, I can smell, that I can get a tan. Like if I if I do A, I'm gonna get B, and because I didn't like having things unknown, being out of control, and with all these things that I would put my effort in and it wouldn't come to fruition, largely because of either my bad choices or just not not leaning in long enough. Uh, even I even enrolled in uh, the Marine Corps, went to MCRD. And I was in uh, boot camp, and it was about six, seven weeks in, and I uh, got pneumonia. And because I'm passing out on the obstacle course and passing out during doing drill, like, what the fuck's wrong with me? Sent me to sick bay, and uh, uh, the medic, he sent me back. And he goes, you just need to get some rest in the rack. So I went back to the barracks, and, of course, drill instructor uh, Sajewski wouldn't have any of that. He yanked me out of the rack and put me out back in training. If you're not dead, you're training. <laughs> and it's just like my body kept failing, so I just I tapped out. I, I was like, just send me home. Like, I, I can't getting bent left and right, you know, cause I was ended up being a squad leader and my whole squad's having to pay the price for me. And it just, it, it was kind of a, an escape for me to run away from what, cause I figured that, well, maybe this will just be something I can just kind of mindlessly go into and let the government tell me what to do. And then that didn't pan out. So I came home and I'm like, what the fuck, you know, what the fuck am I going to do? And so I just, well, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to give this a shot. And through it all, I kept finding though I kept, I, I was looking at myself as if I was incapable. And until I realized, yeah, I'm the common denominator. I'm the common thread through my entire life. And all this shit's gone south. But I've also come through all this shit. And uh, it was about 11 years ago, November 5th, 2010. I woke up 3 a.m., wrote this poem. It's called I Decide. And, you know, people would ask me when I was a triathlete, cyclist, you know, I'm in high school, they're going getting drunk at the lake. How do you ride 100 miles on your bike? How do you do butt? I just decide to. Like it's one, one pedal circle after another. I'm just going to put my shit on, get on my bike and I'm going to fucking go. And I'm going to go as fast and far as I want. Right. And I'm going to end up home because I got work or I got shit to do. And when I wrote this poem, it kind of answered that, you know, it's that internal drive. It's a choice. Everything is a choice. And it was kind of this awakening moment for me. And uh, when I found myself in Nigeria, I was doing a, a photojournalism project for a nonprofit put in water wells. There are two things that happened. That I thought, this is, I'm, I'm dead. I'm not, I'm not going home. I got cameras, uh, but I'm here to like do a photojournalism project. And I would document, I had a, a go phone you get in Nigeria. And I had one friend that had access to all my social media, gave all my stuff to, uh, including videos I made for my kids, letters I wrote, because they were like, they said, you have to just prepare for whatever, but you're going to be safe. You'll be fine. It wasn't fine. There was elections going on, crazy shit. Nigeria it was nuts. I was not my first international trip out of the United States was this landed in Abuja. And then that was a shit show uh, through Lagos and then going through the country on these back roads. I was the only white guy. Ended up in these two predicaments. And um, like for me to be sitting here right now should have happened. Like I should be dead. I should be eating dirt, growing weeds in Nigeria somewhere. And I've all the moment I had this moment of. I'm done, like this is it. And I was journaling every day and I would talk to the video camera. It was kind of my way to, to, to document what I was going through and I had nothing, absolutely nothing. I was completely paralyzed by fear. And uh, in my journal, I just sat there and looked at it. Cause you know, talk about sleeping when you're cold. Like, you know, I'm sweating my balls off 24 seven in that country during the rain season and it looked like I was taking a shower every day. 
And the only shower I could get was a bucket with some water, taking a freaking whore bath, you know, if I could get some soap. But I was, every noise, I thought someone was going to be trying to come into the room and, you know, try to snag me up. And uh, I've, I'd never dealt with that kind of fear before in my life. And to the point I couldn't even think. You know, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Of course. And I'm probably talking to the choir here. But, uh, yeah, we've been, we've been there. <laughs> and I wrote in that book this quote. And it was several months later when I was putting the documentary together and I kind of had to revisit it. And it was really hard for me. When I remember when I came home, I, I was quarantined for seven days and I, I never left the couch. I mean, I'm amazed I just didn't piss myself on the couch because I was just afraid. Like no lights were on. Um, and I dealt with a lot of social fear for a long time. Sometimes still I'll get like a peripheral, like it'll just, like I'll, all of a sudden I'll get overwhelmed with anxiety. And it was never like that before that with PTSD. Uh, whatever it may be, but um, for about a year, I struggled. And a lot of guilt, too, like coming from Nigeria and seeing people live and how they lived. And I come home and, God, how is it that I could be living in the same time frame space and they have so little and then I have so much and yet I'm unhappy, you know? I mean, the beauty that I saw in Nigeria was incredible. Some of the just the, the basic needs of survival, survival of the fittest, it, 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 it was mind-blowing to me. So when I was putting this whole documentary together, um, I came across this page where I wrote this quote down. And that quote really kind of, um, I didn't realize it was going to be my own epiphany that I wrote to myself. And I ended up having it tattooed on, down my entire spine. And the guy came to my house. My kids got to watch it. It's about four or five hours of just grueling pain. You guys know what I'm talking about. Spine, spine <laughs> sucks. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's been that mantra for me because, you know, my uncle asked me one day, he goes, how are you so positive? You know, from all the uh, stuff you came from growing up. I was like, man, I'm just waiting for my nervous breakdown. Like, I'm just waiting for my, for that trigger to where I'm going to end up like my mom. And it uh, didn't never happen. He goes, that's because it would have happened already. And it was this wake up moment. So it was kind of this trigger of like, I've been waiting for something bad to happen. Well, it is going to happen if you wait for it. But this quote uh, kind of became my, my mantra that all the shit that I've gone through um, either it's because of how I react or the choices I'm making. So I had to own it. You know, Jocko Willink's talked about extreme ownership, mm -hmm. but I never looked at it that way. So how old were you when, or at what point do you, when you, when you're growing up and you realize that the spots that you're in, that it's not, it's something that's coming down on you. It's that you were the one that's supposed to be in that spot. It's like a, a football player getting pissed off because he's the one getting tackled or a boxer pissed off because they're the one getting hit or seals getting pissed off because we're the yeah. ones in war. Mm -hmm. But in, in life, you're born into the spot you need to be born into what molds mm. you i mean looking mm. back at what you look at you now i mean how do you get to this part well, you had to go through that that's mm -hmm. what makes this mm -hmm. at what point i mean when you going through that you realize because like i said it's empowering it's like wait a minute mm -hmm. I, i'm not the one getting hit here i'm the one doing <laughs> the hitting I, the reason i'm taking all this is because i'm going into that and that's your life yeah that's the one you, you i mean you decided that for yourself I've told people like what you said it's like hey look if you find yourself in a shitty situation for a very very long time Take a hard look in the mirror. Yeah. The person looking back at you is probably the problem. <laughs> mm. And move on. Mm -hmm. that, that was hard for me to admit for a long time because I, I, uh, I wanted to be the victim, partly. And that was the thing I had to admit to, too. I liked saying that I was the victim of, of abuse and all these things that were going wrong. Almost asking for pity. Like, oh, it'll, be, it'll get better, MD. No, that's a, that is not, you're not going to get respect out of pity. The fuck am I doing? Mm-hmm. I need to quit listening to all these people pandering for attention and validation and go, no, motherfucker, you got to own your shit. 
you're in this position because of one of two things. You either made a series of bad decisions that led you here, or you just didn't react correctly. Fix your shit. I have it in my office. It says, own your shit. <laughs> and I need to add the second part, fix your shit. Because it, you know, even working together and, you know, our teams and our staff and everything, it, it, it is not his responsibility to make people happy. It, it, it's, it's a mutual decision. You give me a place of employment, you're going to pay me this, I'm going to do this for you. But it is not his job to make people happy. But when people put that on him, that's not his job. That's a personal choice. Happiness is a choice regardless of conditions, mm -hmm. right? And that quote, for me, became that one binary thing that I always refer, it's my compass. And it's when all else fails, I won't. There Period. You, you live it. You have it. So, so both of you guys have. And the more the people that I talk to, and, and with Anthony too, and the way that he operates, um, people look at Anthony very uh, with a lot of mystique. Because, I mean, the numbers guy at the back of his hand, and uh, he operates at a very high level. Um, but it's not like he didn't, he just came out of the womb like that. This is all about choice and behaviors and patterns and habits and believing in yourself too and not taking an excuse. Well, that's where respect comes from. Also guidance. Like how could anybody do anything if there wasn't another somebody out there yeah. to help propel them in that way? I think I see about this the other day. Like when you call somebody and say, hey, I need something. The minute you hang up the phone, what wills them to go do it? Mm. Nothing. Themselves. Mm. Especially if you're not paying them. How does anything get done? If you think about it, like the minute you say, oh, I don't feel like doing that. And you just don't show up, man. And it's like that, that chain. So we've created something that just, just in the fact that you ask and the way you ask it and you deliver it, man, it kind of pushes. It's like a, like the breeze, I guess, because mm -hmm. when you build something, you have people coming in, man, it's that, that respect. Like you don't have to make them happy. I wouldn't piss them off though. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's uh that's why teams are so important with us. Like we go through the hard stuff. If you're the, in the, if you're a fighter and you're in that stuff, that breeds a team like can't believe. Yeah. You want to know if, if they're loyal, man. That's hard times flush to chumps, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's not it's not a downturn or anything, man. It's just shifting gears and going down into the valley. Some people like that. Anybody who likes off roading or doing anything, man, they like getting dirty, muddy, and beat up. Mm. But the minute you start, you, you look at it as like it's happening to you, or wait, no, I jumped into it. We're happening together. And that's kind of how we, we had to do it. Because every time we turn around, somebody's trying to kill us. Well, let's, 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 let's bring you in this conversation, and then we'll bring it, we'll bring it together, how, how the two of you got together. Yeah, I have a great, a great family. My mom grew up a huge Irish and Italian family, South Side Chicago. Nice. One of my great uncles Cops drove. And firefighters? Or? One of my great uncles drove for Al Capone. Oh, uh, plumbing pipe fitters. <laughs> yes. plumbing, plumbing pipe fitters built the Sears Tower. Nice. Deal. Uh, my dad, dudes, man, back in the day. My dad grew up a huge family, one of eight kids uh, in Boston. Southie? Uh, not quite Southie. Uh, uh, my grandfather was an uh, accountant for... Um, the mob? Not, not, I don't think it was the mob. Not the, not the <laughs> Whitey, Whitey, Whitey Bulger? <laughs> Whitey? 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 Uh, Who knows? Uh, <laughs> so they grew up uh, Medford. Okay. So it was not quite Southie, um, but a huge English and Welsh family, one of eight kids. They met in the Navy. Uh, oh, my dad cool. was two years older than my mom. Uh, so he was in the Navy there, um, both stationed at Point Magoo in Oxnard. So they met there. Um, I was What's born in the, Oxnard. Is that there anymore? I don't, I don't think it's there anymore. I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. Well, I get rid of that one. So I was born in Oxnard, California. Both my parents were discharged um, from there. Um, Dad was a union electrician. He runs our construction division now. But he was a 25-year oh. union electrician. Uh, so we moved from... Uh, um, California to Nevada to Colorado. We settled in a town called Pueblo, Colorado. Pueblo. 
Pueblo. Oh, Pueblo. yeah. Oh, yeah. Beautiful Hot Springs. Man. It's been 100,000 people for the last 80 years. It's never yeah. going to grow. It's never going to shrink. It's so awesome. the exact same. It's old steel mill town. Yep. There's more Medal of Honor winners that were born in Pueblo or live in Pueblo, I think, than anywhere else in the country. Because steel comes out of there, right? Steel comes out of there. And it's just, you know, a lot of it's... And a lot of it's heavy. A lot of it's second, third, and fourth generation <laughs> immigrated from Mexico. The family's kind of immigrated up to Albuquerque, then to Pueblo, and kind of settled there for the steel mill jobs. It's a decent town, grew up there. It's kind of a blue-collar family town. Uh, my dad was a union electrician, so it's kind of liberal-leaning. Um, and you can see his personality morph as he raised three kids to where he went from loving the family and the unity that comes with the unionization and barbecues and camaraderie and solidarity to despising the tactics as you kind of grow up the ranks, right? So starting from like a, a union electrician up to a journeyman electrician to a master electrician and kind of getting more involved in the process with respect to labor contracts and negotiations and unions, he had this despising for what was the typical union bosses and the picket lines and just the process he just started really hating. As a kid, I did all the usual stuff, brother and sister. Um, I was no good at wrestling because I was too tall and lanky, so I got into boxing because it was easy. Soccer, track, so on and so forth. Um, as a kid, I was excited to grow up. Looking back on it, raising my kids now, I'm kind of a little more. I've never heard somebody say that. Slow down a little bit. Yeah. It's slow you know, enjoy. You know, thinking back, I was kind of, as a kid, I was hurrying through the family vacations, hurrying through the school process, hurrying through the, the practices and the fun with the neighbor kids and that kind of stuff. Well, I have so that I was, problem now. I was in a hurry to grow up. Or you know? <laughs> getting better at it, but yeah, that's, that's a thing. My kind of training points, we were at Kmart shopping for new school clothes. I was 12 years old. Uh, Kmart shopping for new school to close my mom, uh, and she was buying us Lee jeans. And I go, come on, mom, you know that's what the nerdy kids wear. Cool kids are wearing Levi's, right? And she goes, well, if you want Levi jeans, why don't you go out and get a job and buy yourself some Levi jeans? So I'm 12 years old and I got a paper out. Excited to grow up. Those Levi jeans, I mean, they're the cleanest pressed Levi jeans. I bought the first month, right? I bought those in a pair of Reebok pumps. Mm, yeah. I, was, <laughs> I just Chang's got a pair of Reebok pumps <laughs> for my birthday. You know how many times you hit that pump on the tongue? Okay, so I was, I was 12 going, on the right, 20 <laughs> on the left. I was going over this when I had him on the other day. No one was looking, but I was kind of looking around and I was like, <laughs> And then, because Axe and I play ball now. Okay. And um, on a whim, I just, when it was our birthday, my wife goes, what do you want for birthday? I was like, if you can find me some Reebok pumps, I'll, I'll take those. And she couldn't, which is pretty amazing. But my son, my oldest boy, he found them. And they showed up. <laughs> I, nice. I, let, I let the tags hanging off of them, off, you uh -huh. know, the chain tags. I'm just going to play till yep. they fall off. Yep. You got to, right? You got to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, see, I'll I'll let you know how many pumps I got on that. You you're such a sneakerhead, Marcus. <laughs> I'm not that. Uh, you are when now. We were, when we were kids, yeah. But, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So I did really good in school, uh, but I was better in the workforce. So I went from a paper route to work in the restaurant. So I was a busboy, host, buffet, cook, so on and so forth, working with you know, guys that were 10 years older than me, 20 years older than me, holding my own. I'm a fry cook at a Texas roadhouse, one of the busiest in the country at 15 years old. All right, so explain that. What do you think it is that makes somebody, and is this where it comes in like applied science and applied mathematics? It's like, what is it? Because the drive, the work ethic is what we have. How is it we can go off and conquer all this, that stuff, but not apply that drive to sitting in that well, classroom? My, and, I, I say it's multiple, there's, you'll never find a harder worker than my dad. My dad's the most hardest working guy you'll that ever see. That is a force to be reckoned He'll work with. 8, 10, 12, 14-hour shifts. He, I've seen him pick up extra jobs when I was a kid for you know Christmas money, come home, mows the lawn. You know, he's just, he, just, he just goes. There's no tire factor in him when it comes to the work ethic. And it's not even, you know, some people have a work ethic, but they're, they're bad at it. 
It's half-ass work. Kind of, it's, that's the worst. His, his work ethic is just, it's straight line. The oh. cleanest workspace, the most organized setup there is, the, the, the plan, the action. So I kind of watched that work ethic growing up. So that's part of it on my side. What about As school? It, was he on your ass about it to, in school? or did both my, Neither of my parents graduated college. Uh, um, uh, I was supposed to go, I toured University of Massachusetts, Amherst, hmm. um, uh, when I was a sophomore in high school because my original thought process was a double major, poli-sci and American history. Fascinated with pre- and post-revolutionary war. What was wrong with the group of bandits that decided to go against the largest army and military in the world and say, we're going to take what's ours and, and you're out of here? And then after they did that insanity, how the hell did they build an actual country out of it, right? A respectable country. And how did they do it all in the span of 40 years, right? Without getting overtaken by the other powers of the world. How did they convince France to be on their side? How did they not get invaded by Spain and Portugal, right? How did, how did all this happen? Fascinated by it. So I took, I was taking college history classes as a sophomore and junior in high school. Uh, um, I toured it. Um, what was the answer you come up with? Money. It was you know, all money? As a kid, I was a little bit materialistic, right? I mean, I'm 13, 14 years old. I want the Reebok pumps. I want the cool car. No, no, no. Why, why no one attacked us while we were going through that war? Uh, oof. There, there's, there's no clip. There, that's a lot there's, of there's no clip there. version on that one. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, Britain did 1812. They kind of regained themselves. They came back after They wouldn't know what to do with us. Yeah. You know, a huge landmass, massive travel to get from Europe to America. If Britain couldn't do it, what the hell chances Portugal have or Spain or you know or anywhere else? We're allies with France, so if a country were to come over to invade us, that's about France going back to them. Um, Mexico couldn't do it. There wasn't enough. It was such a wide atmosphere with the entirety of North America. That why would you go to war with a group of crazy individuals for a small pocket of it? There was a thirteen colonies. Just go down south. Just go to the Caribbean. Go to Mexico. Go up to Canada. Go to the Wild West. And that was kind of the, the forefront of it. Plus, they're a little, a little crazy back then. Yeah. yeah. Little, you know, no. brilliant, uh, but crazy. Yeah. You know, so as a kid, I was a little materialistic. This was, you know, m- mid nineties. So the first car that I bought for myself was a, at a 1990 Honda Civic with this hatchback, two door SI hatchback, you know, it's a two door hatchback. Oh, hey, boom, boom. Boom. <laughs> that was the year of the Civics, man. The nineties, right? four 15 inch subwoofers, Cor- Fosgates, double, uh, mm. JBLs. Lands are JBL. Okay. <laughs> What are you pushing uh, uh, it with? Dub six is four thousand watts of Kenwood amps. Come on, battery backup with the passenger seat, double tin of windows that. for the back glass window, and, and license this, plate was rattling. This <laughs> insane, unnecessary four-inch muffler pipe that sounded like I don't know what the hell it sounded. Because that when that first came out, I just ran through there. So loud that when I come home late at work at night, we lived at the bottom of a hill. I had to turn my car off to go on the driver's so my parents up. Oh good lord! I saw okay. I saw a joke the other day, man. Somebody. Somehow rigged a duck call and put it into the muffler of this car. <laughs> we we got to do that. That's awesome. Good. I set the center of my car on fire uh, when I was 17 going to a base competition. You know, back in the day, you used to have these competitions at stereo Did you got this whole base thing? Look, you got the look. Yeah, it was like, you know, yeah, backwards yeah, right. visor, unnecessary Michael Jordan t-shirt. You know, it was... Jordan shoes. You know, it, it's decked out head to toe. With the bike cap. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my friends, my friend was hooking up. We had... That stuff's coming back. I see it out there rolling now. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. They're yeah. slamming the trucks back down. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the license plate that won't stop rattling. What's yeah. up? No? Sounds good on the inside, horrible on the outside. No, no. So I remember I was like a shoe I was in, in the dryer. I was in school. My <laughs> my AP history teacher was giving me a hard time because I missed a couple of classes because I was working. I was working 50, 60 hours a week at a restaurant, making great money. Uh, uh, I was making like 11 bucks an hour as a 16, 17 year old. But you're working 60 hours a week, you know, limited taxes, no overhead. I had my insurance pay for. Uh, um, 
he was giving me a hard time uh, about showing up to class and potential kind of the usual teacher speak, right? Which is which is looking back at now, it's great. Um, and he goes, "What are you gonna do the rest of your life? Just you know, make money in a restaurant?" Speak? That's pretty good. Uh, Steal that one. And I pull out my check stub, and he told me I was making more than him. And I thought to myself, "How am I gonna go to college and basically have his job in six years from now, but be making less than I am now?" So I just went kind of the right direction, full force in the restaurant business. 18 years old as a restaurant manager, couldn't buy alcohol, but signing for thousands of dollars of checks of keg beer and liquor bottles and so on and so forth. Uh, Brilliant. Because you get stuck in that world. Back when we were going through too, that our buddies, we'd all worked in the bars. Like we were the bouncers, the buddies of security, I mean, uh, the bartenders and so forth and so on. We we had a whole military career, came back and dude's still in there. Yeah. Remember I'd go to, you know, and I'm in a restaurant that's doing six, seven million dollars a year in sales. Uh, and the table's upset because, you know, whatever happened, steak's overcooked or they waited too long. And I go up, I say, hey, I'm Anthony, I'm the manager here. And they look at me like, I've had pe- people tell me, how old are you? Like, I'm 18. What's the problem? Like, you're not the manager. Where's the real manager at? <laughs> you know, so I kind of had to earn a little bit of the respect. And I earned it just from overworking everybody, right? Because you're not going to earn respect from yeah, a 20-year cook or, or the bartender that's 10 years older than you, the experienced restaurant manager, unless you just can grind it out. So that for quite a while. Um, started first uh, business on my own in 2007 with a business partner that lasted till 2013 for a PE buyout, good private equity buyout. Um, went the consulting route for a little bit. Didn't like that at all. I like having skin in the game. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to work for something, I want like to be my, my reward, my risk. So telling other people what to do with their money, it's great for some people. It just wasn't my personality. Um, Got to have that fear in there. Yeah, a little bit of the unknown. I do that too. Still, yeah. That's my, the with my company, I'm like, yeah. oh, we are teetering on catastrophic loss yeah. here. So and we it, come full circle to to our brands we have now. In 2015, my ex-wife, her name is Candice. Her idea was she was a cosmetologist before we had kids, uh, and she wanted to get back into business, but not be a hairstylist and not go work for one of the big guys like a sports clips. Um, uh, I was kind of getting about finished up with the food business, so her idea was to kind of merge a bar and a barber shop all into one. So I went the first one in Magnolia in 2015, uh, took off like a rocket ship. Um, the ambiance, the culture, the fun. Um, before that, guys getting a haircut, it was a chore. Unless you're the old guy that goes and gets the shave at 7 in the morning and hangs out with your buddies at the barbershop for three hours reading the paper. No. Regular, typical guys, it was a chore. You go to the grocery store, you go to Home Depot, you go get a bad haircut, you put a hat on. It was kind of the routine. So we're trying to change that with a That's quality. That's the thing. I remember growing up, man, the barbershop. Like a bunch of black men in a barbershop's funniest thing mm-hmm. you ever seen. <laughs> and that it, it should be an experience. Like laying there in the chair with the towel on your face and like somebody is complaining over there. Yeah, that's a thing, man. <laughs> so I always, we got, everything got and sped up real fast, right? One of the things I was overpaid for as a kid because I was, you know, paper out 12 years old. It, Colorado's cold, so you're wearing a hat or hoodie half the time. But the, that six months out of the year, really April, October, when it's nice outside, I had that Zach Morris side part yeah, you know, going on. Strong. Yeah, yeah. Fire. Strong. Fire. Nice. <laughs> With the visor on backwards. It was solid. Right? Yeah, yeah. In the oh, the way, because you perched it up underneath the it visor. It was right here, a hard part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hat sitting uh, on the yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> in the wintertime, freezing away at school because you want to put the hat on because it messes up that hairspray, right? You had that aerosol Aquanet hairspray mm-hmm. going on, too. White rain. White rain yeah. So we started that uh, uh, brand in 2015 and then grew it, combination of stores that we own and franchise locations. A lot of great franchisees. Franchisees are firefighters in the oil business, uh, uh, medical business, primary focuses on tune-up or secondary focuses on tune-up with a primary job. 
grown that to 56 stores across five states. Heavy presence in Texas. We have two locations in Florida, two about to be three in Tennessee. First location opened up Kenosha, Wisconsin last week. In Kenosha? Yeah. Supposed to open up on uh, Friday Great uh, before Thanksgiving. That's yeah, how was that? Came out. Something, something, the city inspectors, you know, the entirety of the city inspectors yeah. uh, went on a deer hunting trip together uh, a couple days before. They said, well, we're, we're out of here. <laughs> Let the National Guard. There's no problems at all. Operations team. There's more yeah. reporters. Should have so, making a, yeah, yeah, yeah. But even yeah, that, yeah. not a whole lot, because they actually <laughs> went downtown to go do video. It was not. It was all, all hype. The morning soap operas are stirring yeah. it up. That's what we started calling. They're all morning soap operas with facts <laughs> yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I mean, they all shifted. Yeah. It's it's got some bad. Do you, do you, you go to every? Do you go to every store? I try to. I've only I've not been to five openings. I make it a point to go to at least five locations a week. So it's what do they get? What do they out. get if they do an opening and you? Do you don't go show to five up? locations a week. At least that many. Is there? Are you, are you, you just going to keep going? Oh yeah, we're, we're not stopping. You know, it, so the second brand we started was called Martinis and Manicures, the Women's Retreat. It was kind of the yin Say it again. Martinis and Manicures, the Women's Retreat. So the husband goes to tune up, gets a haircut, has a cold beer. The wife goes to Martinis and Manicures, gets her nails done. Manicure, pedicure, has a cosmopolitan or a margarita or that kind of a drink, right? Kind of the yin to the yang. So we have a location open up now on I-45 in, in Shenandoah that's going very, very well. Uh, we opened up that concept in 2017. And then in 2019, um, started Balanced Foods. Balanced Foods package takeout meal. So it's healthy packaged meals, retail storefronts, and a grab-and-go setup. If you want to grab breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, something that's easy and convenient and healthy, full online ordering. We do nutritional consultations for people looking to get specific results, gain weight, lean down, lose weight, diabetic, high cholesterol, that kind of gauntlet. Uh, we have six of those locations open up, five in the Houston area and one in Tampa, Florida. Are all the stylist psychotherapists? I mean, that's all you need left, man. That thing it's a prerequisite. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I keep, doctors, I keep, they can, they can I keep telling MD we need our own reality TV show. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I told you this yesterday. Well, yeah. it's probably I coming. Don't worry The things about that happen, we couldn't script. You can do one. You can do better. one at every, every shop. Yeah. Every shop, every day. We can do it on the store level, you know, and it's, it's of course, you have kind of some oh, of the, sure. the bad drops. That would drops be awesome happens, because right? what happened, then, then the, those stores, are, once you see who's what and where they're at, then it'd be like, man, I got to go. Gotta be, I gotta every one of them's got a different personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm you looking to help us out with that. Out <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, in Florida. Well, I'd, I'd circle back to the beginning with the, with the question on executing the business plan in 2022. Where I was in 2018, 2019, going through building a business, raising four kids, going through a divorce. My ex-wife is business partner of the business still today. And, and we get along very, very well on a business partnership, better than we did several years before that. Um, but I just became laser and methodically focused to where I created this, this massive, massive Excel sheet that went through what was supposed to be our entire growth plan 2020. At the time we had 40, going into 2020, our first location for Balanced Foods opened January 5th. And that was our 48th store. And I had the plan to go from 48 to 96. On the week we'd open each store, the exact market, the franchisees lined up. It was just unbelievably methodical. The team built for it because we do in-house construction, in-house marketing, in-house IT. Everything's done in-house. So if we're going to try to double the size of a company and go from 15 million in sales to 30 million in sales in a year, it's got to be. A very, said, I'm sorry. So everything's plan. vertically integrated in inside this business model. Yeah. So we we outsource. The only thing we outsource is when we do outside state projects we find a local gc for outside say texas what's startup what's time frame brick and mortar start to finish four to six months yeah because the boy build it in the shop yeah 
Your master carpenter. Yeah, you saw the warehouse. Yeah. So we build everything. Awesome. We build everything in our warehouse. All the equipment, FF and E, millwork. Uh, it has to come out of while there the too, subcontractors right? doing cool. the trade work inside. You know, HVAC, electricians, plumbers. But you're you not know? standalone. You're usually in a, like a strip. Yeah, we're center, in a like... typical retail center. Okay, so it's already probably already ready to yeah. go. Or well, being usually built. we go into what's called a cold dark shell. It's a concrete floor, metal studs, and a roof. And just outfit. And, and we have to tear it apart, and make it our own. Okay. So what, somebody sending you that. You got somebody out scouting. Yeah, you got to scout. Yeah, yeah. So, so Candace, she does all the real estate. Recon, you know, oh, she yeah. does that. Yeah, so we have you know, all the real estate programs, tactician and LoopNet, and everything we go through for the right real estate. Does which, do you guys own own the real estate? No, we we lease it all. Lease it all. Yeah, a typical space for us, like for a tune-up, put us in front of a big box center with a Home Depot, mm-hmm. with a Buffalo Wild Wings next to us, something like that. You know, kind of a guy's area. Yeah, so you measure it off of that. It's like, yeah, all right, so if on, I was a dude, the, I need a hardware store yeah, around here. Exactly. An electronic on, store on, on a, a balanced foods, where do women shop? Right, Target. Home goods, that kind of stuff, right? So we kind of traffic flow. You got the whole Walmart model. Next to yeah. gym. Gyms are great for balanced foods, yeah. So, I mean, our, our, our plan is to take what was supposed to be laid out in 2020, which we executed through the pandemic. We grew from 48 stores to 63 the last year and a half. So we still grew through the pandemic. Uh, um, but execute that business plan this next 12 months. And, and our goal is to pass 100 stores by the end of 2022. Probably be in seven to eight states. Mm. What about with so, this? What? In big city, like when when you go to look at, at towns, smaller towns, with because everyone needs a haircut, right? I mean, is it kind of you're going in there looking for a city in a certain yeah? It, it's unique. So, so or, for it, the Balanced Foods brand is more successful with a higher concentration of population. Yeah. Who is your supplier for Balanced Foods? Uh, we use U.S. Foods, Labatt Foods, and then Brothers Produce, and we also use a company called UNFI, United Natural Foods. So there's not a supply issue for you. Uh, we're very very fortunate. There, there were some sporadic supply issues during the shutdown with like a chicken plant shutting down. Most of it was price fluctuations. The supply is always there. It's always going to be there because there's multiple sources of supply. It's just yeah. if a, if That's the best part about doing it in-house, right? If someone in America, is willing to they can't shut pay that for down. it. So the chickens, you know, if, if Sanderson or Tyson shuts down two or three poultry plants because of COVID, there's still another three dozen poultry plants in the country. The price is just going to go 8% from 200 increase to 4. In, 8% right? increase in inflation. Yeah. Though. Where we got very, very fortunate is our containers come out of Canada. So we use a plastic recyclable container based out of Canada. So we didn't have any trucking or logistics supplies this last six or eight months. Okay, it's coming from the most north. of uh, most of the containers, whether it be styrofoam or polystyrene containers, come from China. So that's where the supply issue is happening, just because of the backlog of the docks, which right. just spikes the cost. Uh-huh. You know, so it would normally be like a container for thirty cents is now seventy, eighty cents. Uh, well, we're still getting it for the same price of four because it just comes from north as opposed to overseas. So overpaying for the quality two years ago is actually a huge benefit to us now because a couple of years ago we could have got the same type of a container, a lower Chinese quality for a couple cents less. We wanted to overpay for the right quality. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the mantra of the business. We overpay for, you know, we pay for the right for the employees, we pay for the ambiance, pay for the food, right people, right quality, right ingredients equals right business plan. How many employees did you have in your first store? Typical salon goes eight to 12 employees, depending on the volume. How many, how many? So how many now? She got fifty-five stores. We have, company-wide, we have sixty-three stores. So company-wide, there's six hundred and eighty-four employees, between corporate employees that are ours for our stores and franchise employees. And leadership sprinkled across the country, or centrally located here. So we have uh, on our office, we have the typical kind of uh, SG and A team: accounting, bookkeeping, finance, HR, marketing, um, IT. Uh, we have district managers. I have a director of operations for each of the brands. And then district manager, that's kind of the field operations. Yep. Store manager level. Each Every location has a store manager. 
and then a great kind of franchise liaison where we support and assist the franchise locations. I want you to offer something up to our listeners because from what, from our conversation, you were a poli sci history guy with no kind of business mind, so to speak. And then you jump into this with both feet with your wife, where I think people get bogged down in their ability to pursue their dreams is the unknown. Like for me, with my company, I jumped in and didn't have a clue. I bargained my way into a project and, and learned the day that I stepped on to the platform and figured it out. Did you do the same thing or yeah. did you? I, I have no how much tradition. capital did you, did you come out of pocket or did never you? Never enough. There's never enough capital. Well, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so when I, when I started the first business in 2007, we started with 30 grand. 30,000 bucks took over a little kolache space and turned into a healthy foods company. 30,000 bucks. Uh, we ran that location for the first three months without a health permit because I didn't know we had to have one. There's no book. <laughs> There's no manual, right? There's yeah, no consistency. That's what I mean. There's no, you know, uh, um, so growing that. Otherwise, you'd be doing what everybody else is doing. Whoopsie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tune up the Manly Salon. It was started with about 400000 in capital because we did the first two locations out of the gate, one in Magnolia, one in Tomball. And then the franchising, you know, trademark miscellaneous stuff because we we'd figured it out by then in terms of the steps process for a business, right? Everything from like the creation of an LLC. Are we documenting that or, or? It's all upstairs. Upstairs, I mean, okay. So I've had that problem too, where people are like, hey, can I see your business model? Can I see how you've grown and you've scaled in the past three years since this, since the time that you started it down? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I got it all right here. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I can ramble it off. Down. You know, Tillman Fertitta in his book, uh, Shut Up and Listen, he says, number one rule is know your numbers. I, I do. I still, to this day, I create a sheet every single Monday that has the previous week's sales for every location. All the KPIs, key performance indicators for every location. I do it myself. I outsourced this to one of my bookkeepers a couple of years ago, and I hated it because if I didn't physically do it, I wouldn't memorize it. I wouldn't yeah. look at it. So you tell me a location, I can tell you what did last week in sales, what labor was last week, labor hours, how many employees it has on staff. It's just the way my mind works. So we have all this documented, you know, in terms of like historical performance and sales volume and growth trajectory. Uh, when we started the brand for TuneUp, we knew this. It, we I went from knowing nothing about owning a business to at least knowing the steps process of it. You know, creation of an LLC, bank account establishment, the logo and trademark, negotiating a lease out, architectural plans for the build out, that kind of stuff. Right? You sold any of them yet? Or are you just franchise? Uh, we're we have eighteen corporate stores. And the remainder of franchise locations. So has anybody tried to partner with y'all into your shop? Like a tune-up and a like a coffee shop? Uh, we do. So each location has a full bar. And we do free, oh, I know free that. alcohol, right? So that's kind of the... So we do <laughs> a lot of... Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> what we really do is local breweries. <clears throat> so, that, you know, there's a ton of local breweries. Uh, so each location will partner with a brewery in the area. Cross-marketing, promotion, bring their beer in. That's good enough. We give it all away. Um, uh, our product for the tune-up, our main product is a company called Billy Jealousy, which is a great company for beard oil, shampoo, conditioner. In Dallas. Hair product based out mm -hmm. of Dallas. What's it called? Billy, I'm Billy, in the market for some Billy Jealousy. Oil. Good product line. Uh, the the really new good. generation of entrepreneurs, like our generation coming in, and the, the, the tune-up, what a great idea. What a great concept. Tune-up, right? I need a tune-up. Guys say that all the time, right? Some of the marketing out there for those soaps and, 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 and stuff that they're inventing, like to re not... Because there's the, the the soap that you see in the hardware store all, or the, the stores all the time, and then these guys are coming up with it, man. It's it's something. 
Yeah. The sky's, the sky's the limit. Kind Manscaped, of. the new the new razor for guys, right? It's called Manscaped. We, oh, we got it. Soft tip edge, right? <laughs> that, that's some good marketing. I think I have their underwear on right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll tell you a story about a marketing thing that we were going to do. So this was July 2020, right? Coming out of the pandemic, we opened back up, sued the governor, sued the attorney general, the state of Texas, forced them to allow us. To, to allow us. I kind of say in quotes because we allowed ourselves to open back up on May 1st getting back in the routine of business. And then in July of 2020, um, we'd had some sporadic stores. We do a lot of giveaways. So we do like a raffle contest for all of our VIPs. Or if you do like a product incentive contest, you, you, you buy a bottle of shampoo, you get a ticket to a raffle. We give away a, a, a Arctic cooler or something at the end of each month, right? Kind of incentivize the customers to get involved with the store more. No other barbershop does that. I hope I'm not giving away any trade secrets here, but it's pretty successful. We had some locations that branched out and worked with local gun shops and give away a gun. So they didn't, mm, they didn't actually give away a gun, right? <laughs> they didn't actually give away a gun. What they gave away was a gift card to the gun has shop. One of the, right? Has one of the trucks the ever been auctioned you know, off? What was that? Can you win one of the trucks? Yeah, the orange one. We'll do that one next month. We have a 1946 Ford uh, F100. Uh, orange, huge tires. It doesn't run. We have to tow it. Um, oh, the one that's parked oh, in front no, of the shop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you see it? Yeah. So we had some sporadic stores that would partner up with a local gun shop um, and do a gun giveaway. So they advertise, you know, for a raffle or sign up for a VIP this month and, and get entered to win a nine millimeter. It's, it's a gift card, right? So we don't have any liability and there's no guns in the actual shop. So the thought process for us for July 2020, coming out of the pandemic, 4th of July, independence, you know, our, our customers are pretty red, white, and blue. Uh, we did, we were going to do it company wide. We were going to give away nine millimeters partner up with a gun shop and we're going to do it for all at the time it was good 40, lord did you have tune up engraved across the slide <laughs> so we partnered up with him we we're going to get it for a couple hundred bucks a piece and do this huge gun giveaway july 4th independence who route promotion did you hear what right? i said like this dude needs a tune up right you know, so we had the whole plan ready to launch right and, and we launched the, the, the marketing plan plans too. middle of june is kind of you know the hard stop deadline for a monthly plan is the 15th of the previous month so we have enough time to get materials out. Sure. And yeah. and then everything happens with the race riots and the re-shutdowns and the so on and so forth. And we had to scrap the entire plan because we're talking about, we had two of our stores broke into inside of Houston when they're doing the, you know, this was the George Floyd and, and that kind of whole issue. Yeah. So we could have quickly been branded either the, you know, the red, white, and blue company that's doing good by the community and raffling off some guns or the company putting 59 millimeters on the street during race riots. So we opted to scrap the whole plan. Err yeah. <laughs> on the side of caution. Yeah. Yeah. So that was unfortunate. We kind of scrapped that. We'll do it this coming year, though. It'll be a, it'll yeah. be a fun promo to do. There's yeah. time for everything. Yeah. Well, hey. People are fired up. You know, that's, hey. that's the way we are. Hey. That's the thing. I'm trying to think of some other cool stuff. You get away at a man show, like tires. All day with that. <laughs> Make it like at a hardware store. What was that joke? When the kids came online, I was like, I'm not, I wish there was a baby daddy hardware store. Yeah. <laughs> I could go in and get the Beyond board and my chainsaw and yeah. whiskey. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Like auction off like, because that concept you got is brilliant. It's like, man, what are guys like? We we don't have it here, but we got it for you. Yeah. Every Everybody that comes into a tune-up, uh, they love it. They absolutely love the concept. They love the experience of it. And every shop, the staff is is so ingrained with a local community, whether it's a franchise location. I mean, they, they live there, they work there, they employ people that are from there and they become threaded because it, it's about an experience for guys to come and not just come and get a haircut and you're turn and burn and you feel like cattle and you're being upsold every time you walk in to try to get the next new fancy you know, hair product. But it's come in, have a couple of free drinks, relax, sit at the bar 
if there's a little bit of a wait, cool, we're going to throw some, probably some inappropriate jokes or, you know, banner back and forth, got Chive TV and stuff going on. And it becomes its own culture inside the walls of a tune-up. And when it, when, <laughs> it, when it pops up and there's a grand opening and Anthony shows up, the franchisee's there, the, the, the staff is there, it's a place you want to go to. So a lot of our VIPs will come and just want to hang out for a bit. I didn't even get any a haircut. They just want to come and see their people at tune-up. I walked in there the other day, man, and a bunch of the football players go in there <laughs> to get, get tuned up, right? And uh, I just kind of sat back and listened to them talk. I forgot what it was like. That was our first, you know, high school, going to the barbershop right before the all game, all that stuff like that. Yeah. It's part of it, man. Yeah. It's routine. Yeah. Because you get yeah. ready for the after party. Uh, if you win the game, you're all <laughs> good. Up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get all cleaned up. Land one of those in the stadium or like some high-rise corporation or you guys got your own driving service? Not yet. As far as for what? Well, if you're going to go have a couple of drinks. Like two hour. blitz, you got a driver yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 like, yeah. It drives you in the truck, right? You live in the 20-mile radius. We're going to show up in the truck and grab you. You know, we do what's called a VIP night. And we do them, each store does them about once a quarter. So a, a, a VIP for us is someone that's on a recurring payment. It's between $75 and 120 a month, depending on what you want. Straight shaves or just haircuts and so on and so forth. We buy you a bottle of liquor that's your your choice. You tell us what you like. We put it on the shelf for you. Kind of like the steakhouse wine locker feel. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you get to skip the line, bunch of perks. And once a quarter, we do a VIP night. We've done, we had comedians come into a tune-up. We do uh, beer pong tournaments, poker tournaments. And then it's just kind of like a frat party. We have Uber on standby, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. so you can go in there you and come get the next up morning and, and there's a, you know, up, right? yeah, there's a dozen customer cars still in the parking lot. Oh, <laughs> so it was a fun night. That's a great yeah, concept, a man. Brand. How'd you guys? How'd you guys come together? So he was uh, Michael David uh, was had a company that was doing a lot of consulting work, and met up with him through daycare the kids went to, mm-hmm. um, uh, and pitched me great write up on everything I knew I couldn't afford. Everything new the brand couldn't afford. From website development to SEO. Hey, here's what your SEO looks like now. It's dog shit. Here's what I could do with it. And here's how much it's going to cost. And I go, well, that's fantastic, but I can't afford that. Um, uh, and kind of kept pitching and, and it never quit. <laughs> I mean, there's an opportunity where I needed to expand the marketing department. Um, uh, and because how we, how we really operate on insourcing instead of outsourcing, I wanted it to be exclusivity and just for us as we're going to grow the brands. So uh, came together and um, he jumped on board as director of marketing, really free reign to kind of take what we had done, which was a lot of grassroots paper print and Facebook and really develop it into this multi-tiered marketing department that has SEO optimization, website development in-house, um, uh, e-commerce for balanced foods, um, apparel and t-shirts, uh, store design on the interior thing, monthly promos and rollouts, really from kind of a scrappy, I'm, I'm kind of a ready, fire, aim type of guy sometimes, especially when it comes to marketing. Hey, the store's slow, grab some paper stuff, let's go to Home Depot, talk to some guys, they'll come and get a haircut, right? It, to take that and really mature it over to this thing that's set out three to six months in advance and just the methodology, be able to execute to 700 employees across five states. That's kind of the, a huge maturation. Yeah, of the it's brand. hustle, right? Yeah. I was talking to some of the boys over at Under Armour. Like, man, I had a car in my or the trunk of my car was T-shirts. It's like some of that's how it started. I was like, so anybody coming in and want to be the CEO or something needs to get their ass in a car and go sell T-shirts for a year out of the trunk just yep, to yep. appreciate how you built this sucker, right? I think that gets overlooked, especially when you pass it down. With well, the hustle, yeah. right? The rappers slinging CDs. That's the, the biggest back of the miss, trunk, right? That's the biggest miss, man. Is the hustle. 
And, and when people aren't ready to get in, yes. they want to come in on top. Yeah. Like all the, you know, and, and we've had some franchisees I passed up uh, and said, look, it just not, it's not the right person I do business with you because they have the feel of the dreams mentality. If you build it, they'll come, uh, right? Yeah. I'm going to be a business owner because I started an LLC and I opened up a location. Like that's just, that's how you, that's the entry. Then you got to work your ass off. Sure. To make it successful. And if you work your ass off enough, then maybe you can have a little bit of time off. Well, I go, I mean, you could, you know, Fibonacci that thing with your clientele. Like you, you are so good to your clients, man. That's word of mouth. They'll bring somebody else in and that just kind of keeps it going. Yeah. How often do you see guys checking into anywhere on Facebook and taking a selfie of them with a beer? Guys don't do that. You know, we've, we've reached such a pivotal point with our customers that they're happy to promote for us. Like a VFW That's when you know you've made hair. it is when your customers advertise <laughs> yeah. for you. Yeah. They feel a part of it. Yeah, it's, it's not some place they style. go to. They take owner that, you know, we all, we all own, that's my attorney, my accountant, that's my guy, that's my mechanic, go see my, go see my boy. Well, go to my shop. It's not even really, I'm going to tune up, I'm, I'm, going, to my, I'm going to my shop, right? They, they, they adopt it as their own. And that's, that's when you know you've built a brand that people really buy into. They're not a customer anymore. They're a part of it. Right. And that's, that, that's one of the things I like about the franchisee network because for the most part, I don't know if we've had any franchisees that were seasoned entrepreneurs prior to. Um, some are uh, first responders. You know, They're in professional medical sales, whatever they may and be. Do you teach them all that? I mean, they, like if yeah. they're just like, hey, I just want to... Uh, we, we take care of, uh, on the tune-up side, 56 stores. We take care of thirteen to 14,000 customers a week, half of the last six and a half years. Just like, hey, I got six to go two on, months. what do I need to do? I don't have a cosmetology license. I've never once cut hair. Never once cut hair. I can't do it. I'm not allowed to. because it's, it's like a scrappy cocoa thing. Like, yeah. I know. So of course we have, you know, right? the full, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have the full operations manual. Uh, uh, one thing that we started to do from a training side as we grew is it became harder and harder for us to be able to get the employees together for the consistency in the process, right? We're kind of unique in the nature that we have the certain level of processes you come into the salon, right? You get the ticket, introduce yourself, the stylist does, they walk into the chair, they sit you down, they put the cape over you, you know, they lean you back for your hair wash. There's a certain level of the steps process. But then within the several steps that we have, we want the stylist to be 100% free in everything else. What they talk about, the relationship with the customer, et cetera, et cetera, right? What their hairstyle is. Our uniform is, our uniform is simple, just have the logo on. That's it. I don't care what your hairstyle is, your color of your hair. I don't care if you're wearing shorts or pants. doesn't matter as long as you have the logo on. I'm a happy guy. And it hasn't been since day one. Too many brands are like the New York Yankees, right? Clean shaven or get out. Or here's the entire uniform and, and that's all there is to it. There's no individuality there. And with cosmetologists and barbers and stylists, the reason that they're successful is because they thrive on individuality. That's well, kind of the pinnacle of what they do though, right? Yeah, yeah. Make, that's our identity. Look so like, yeah. what was happening as we were growing outside of kind of our ability to, to, to look over the stores at all times is we're losing a little bit of that originality by going a little bit too much corporate, right? And it's a balancing act. We have to have the, the fences built up to make sure there's consistency, but at the same time we want that uh, genuineness in that So how do you know what that is? That's what I was asking, so, kind of getting to earlier. Going to the stores, nothing makes me happier. Well, some things do, I'm not gonna go to that extreme. But one thing that makes me happy with my going to a location, because I don't announce it. I never say, here's my travel path. I always go into a location unannounced. 100% of the time, if I go into a store, you won't know I was supposed to be there. And if the staff doesn't recognize me, I can see the, the genuineness of it. Sure. Right? And I'll, I'll play the part. How's everybody doing? Sometimes if they don't recognize me at all, I go in the store and I'll get feedback up the chain of command afterwards. And then that's how they know if the store is doing great or if it's not oh, doing it's like great. an undercover boss thing. Kind of, yeah. 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 
you know, besides the data, the data on paper is great because it doesn't lie. It tells you black and white if a store is doing good in sales, bad in sales, good in, you know, in labor percentage or bad in labor percentage, up in customer count or down. But being in the store is the culture piece. How'd you figure out or negotiate the percentage points off of the cut itself? For the franchise agreement, we're at a five and one. So uh, some of our bigger competitors are at a, a six and two or a six and three. It's kind of the nature of the business. We want to be a little bit less. So we do 5% royalty off of the net sales, and then a 1% goes into a marketing co-op fund, marketing co-op fund that, that MD manages uh, that's for global-wise marketing. So it's less, one of the kind of sales tactics is our franchise royalties are less than the competitors. To, you know, the, uh, when people are looking to, to get into a business, you know, you have one of two options. You're either going to create your own brand, and there's so much, you got to, you got to, you got to, dig you got a landscape you got to build that runway but when you get into a franchise you're building into something that was already created you're kind of just you have the right to, to license and use it well sure and you got some weight behind you there's others out there right yeah so you know, and kind of a, for a lot of franchise that's marketing in itself it is you're, you're buying in something that it's kind of like a, a modular home kit right um but that one of the big things that uh and that's one of the things that uh, drew me into just uh the corporate side of it uh was the relationship part because you know you you can't fake heart and when, if you go into a, a, a company that is, that is scaled, uh, the bigger they get, the less heart you feel. It becomes just process and utility. Um, but you realize you've got something when there is that integral part of the, the heartbeat in a location. When, when, when every location, there, there's a real essence of authenticity. The people love to work there. Um, they love the customer interaction. They, 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 they have that team effort. Uh, franchisees, they're very much involved in their locations. It's not like they're going to sit on a perch and, you know, making me money. Uh, but that comes from the top, you know, that, that, you know, people first element and all of our brands, whether it's balance, it's tune up, it's martinis. Um, when I, when I first came on board, I really wanted to kind of take a look at, you know, what is this company really about? You know, cause for him, him and I, it's very symbiotic. Um, our strategy meetings last maybe five, seven minutes <laughs> once a week. It's <laughs> about it. And hit the ground running. This is what we got. Here's the numbers. Okay, what's the next goal? Let's let's run with it. But when a, 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 a prospective franchisee comes to the table uh, and they've they've researched, they looked at other companies and it's like, okay, give us your money. Good luck. And give us, send us the check every month. There's not a lot of support. Yeah, yeah. When people are looking to do a business, like it, you guys know, it's overwhelming. I mean, there's so much you have to figure out. Well, with with the way that this whole thing has been constructed since day one, you get a CEO that has uh, scaled another previously, you know, nine figure company. You've got people at, at, within the corporate team that have so much experience bringing to it that these franchisees, as new business owners, they have this support system every step of the way to help them through this process from the LOI down to grand opening and then beyond that to help them be successful. You know, and that, that, so when you're doing your own business and now you're on the hook and now you've, you, you, you've, you've leveraged some of your assets and you want to open up this business because you want to live this American dream, that's scary as shit. You know, even, even trying to hustle t-shirts out of the back of your car when you just leveraged, you know, 500 bucks on t-shirts, my God, I hope I sell them, you know, or I just got my demo tape, you know, hopefully I can, you know, get some visibility, but the support part and it's, you know, the, the weekly calls and the, the, the meetings <laughs> and the communication and the help and it's a little off, but it's a family. One of the things that's, that's frustrating to me on the franchise business, doesn't matter what, you know, concept agnostic, but the franchise business is there's the sales pitch to get you to sign up for the franchise agreement. You write a check. 
you're you're allowed a territory or an area to do a franchise. And then there's darkness until opening day. There's some franchise or support. And then it's kind of a royalty deal. Yeah. And th- there's this massive open space. It reminds me of the first business I started. You know, you don't know what you don't know. So I didn't know I needed a health permit. I didn't know I needed an LLC setup. I'm running stuff from my own personal bank account, right, for the first three, four months. I didn't know about liability protection or, or, or insurance for it or workers' comp, you know, because I've always worked for somebody, but now I'm going into business ownership. And there's this huge wall that's built up between working and being the owner of a brand. So what we developed was this program that we stepped the franchisees through the process. So we've had franchisees that uh, have nothing to do with any of the process. There's these checkboxes we use for everything, right? So from site area development agreements to site selections to letter of intents to the leasing to the LLC creation to the SBA loan if they go that route or a cash basis to the architectural plans or the construction contract, permitting uh, the construction timeline, hiring, uh, recruiting, the initial marketing, the grand opening team, the opening day, and then post-opening support. We quarterback the majority of that for him. And one of the questions I ask him is, in this process, what is it that you want to do? Because you can do that and we'll handle the rest. What that allows them to do is they don't have to become a real estate agent. They don't have to become an architect. They don't have to become a general contractor. They're not worried about getting contractor bids. Yeah, sure. And you want them to do well. They don't have to learn all yeah. this stuff, right? A typical, you know, one of our competitors, I won't say the name, but in their franchise disclosure document, their timeline to open is eight to 12 months. Ours is four to six because you don't have to have that learning curve as a franchisee. To go and figure out, okay, I need I need to go find an architect, get bids, make sure I have to find three general contractors and get three bid, you know, all that. It's a huge pain in the ass. Work with the bank, work right? with the city. How do I how do I even submit permits? One of the most frustrating things for contracting across a, a, a large swaths of land is the different regions have different permitting. So we go to Montgomery County; it's a walk in, walk out permit. But we go on the other side of the of of Montgomery County, like plane. Kingwood, <laughs> and Kingwood, County. it's it's City Houston Direct with eighteen inspections. Yeah, right. How would you know unless you've done it before? So it just becomes highly frustrating. It's yeah. stonewalls. It increases costs. It decreases motivation. So quarterbacking that for us really helps out in the forefront. Set the franchise up for success at a faster pace. Yeah. You, got, you got a company that travels around, up. does everything for you, one that you just kind of plucked out? or you Yeah, use... we, have our, we have our own in-house construction company. Yeah, does the majority of the work. We have a single architect. That's one of the few things we outsourced was the architectural. One single architect we work with that's done every single one of our plans. You know, so an architect, for example, usually takes five to seven weeks to submit a, what's called a city ready set, a permit set of plans, mm. 25, 30 pages, mechanical, electric, plumbing. Yeah. Architects have done this 50 times over just for tune up alone. They can knock it out with the engineers in three weeks. So everything is faster. Yeah. And because of the bulk and the level of growth, it not only is it faster, but it's also less expensive. So we kind of get, there's that saying was that you can have it fast, cheap, or good, you could pick two, but not three. We built up the reputation with the people that we work with that we could have all three. Landlords we deal with, you know, six years and three months in business on the tune-up side, never once defaulted on a location. Not once. So we have a huge amount of respect from a landlord side. Some landlords we have seven, eight, nine deals with. Sure. I mean, that reputation speaks for itself too. That way, the more you set up, the more that can be set up. Yeah. Because that's that backing that comes with it. Yeah. That helped through 2020. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because when, when you have to ask for a favor, we have enough, you know, we have enough respect in, 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 oh, yeah. in that balloon that we can say, hey, you know what? I've been great for you for the last three or four years. I'm up against the wall here. I need a month or two of free rent because we're not even allowed to op- operate. Yeah. And, and they say, of course, you know, you've been a great tenant, great relationship. Let's take care of you now. 
Oh, and that's how you build it even stronger. Mm-hmm. Like when you cut them slack like that. Absolutely. That, you know you're in it together, for sure. Do you guys find that within the SEAL network? Just that support, like as guys come out of the teams and doing their own ventures and the, kind of the ebb and flow? Well, that, that's growing. You have to appreciate the fact that there was two wars going on for an extended yeah. period of time. So, but yeah, team, each guy once like they separated us. They shot us back into our and we when we landed, every guy has their specialties and what they do, and then their ambition, and then they kind of started going in their own way by themselves. We all do stuff by ourselves, which is not like us. Mm-hmm. Over the years, answer your question to, 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 to that scale, no. Mm-hmm. But that's changing. It's mm-hmm. coming back around. Is that? I mean, that's a tight brother. Those guys are established. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's running, and they built it. You know, yeah. some of them built empires. And now it's not a matter of them having to hustle to build. It's built. Now they start. There's organizations that are created by our community now that when guys are transitioning out, they are there are processes and billets in place to go to any Ivy League school in the country. Wow, no kidding. There are Fortune 500 companies sitting with job opportunities that the resume comes across their desk of four or five team guys getting out. I'm like, take a look. Which ones you want? That didn't wow. exist. Five years ago. Us. I mean, really? you're talking about the most highly trained fraternity on the planet. Yeah. To go do the things that we do. So, yeah. I mean, when we pull one of us out and say, it can be trained to do whatever. But there's always an understanding of like, hey, look, you're not going to get us, you're not going to be the CEO. Yeah. You're going to start at the bottom. Start at the bottom. But it's the work ethic and the loyalty, the drive, discipline, the innovative, creative thinking, the problem solving abilities that the corporation, that you guys would look for. Yeah. Because that'll move you through the ranks faster just than Just put, put them in, put them in place and get out of the way. You can tell if you put somebody who's overqualified in a position that they shouldn't be holding because they'll do theirs and everybody else's job with it and come up with some other stuff. Yeah. And, and one of the greater parts about hiring somebody out of the military like that is if you have to course correct them, if you have to be a disciplinarian, they're receptive of it. They've Coachable. been yeah. they've been their whole oh, career. Yeah. Somebody that's mm. younger than them but one rank over will just get on them and provide that guidance either – you know, you hope it's not yelling and screaming, but that's okay too. You know, that can be an effective means of communications if that's how that person responds. But th- that those individuals, that's what the military offers. Like, hey, I got a guy or girl that I can mold that I need, to, you know, mm-hmm. to a certain spot. And then, like I said, just get out of the way. That's the one thing that comes out on that resume. Mm-hmm. As you, they got discipline, you can train them. You know, a lot of companies hire you guys to come in and, you know, uh, motivate their teams, motivate <sighs> their staff talk about your experiences, the leadership aspects. Uh, have you guys ever kind of like revisited the companies you've been to, to go to see which ones actually took either some tidbits or some tactics and I applied mean, it they, and saw they a difference? Reach, they reach out to us. Do they? And say, yeah. D- is, it a, is it a smaller number that actually saw a difference? They saw the needle move once you guys came in? And- you know, it's funny. So the ones that I've talked to personally, myself, it, the, it depended on what level of uh, employee we were talking to. Mm. So if it was a C-suite, yeah. you know, you might have a, you may have a, a you know, that may have scaled up a little bit if it was just like to the company entirely, depending on what department they weren't in. Maybe they yeah. weren't even paying attention. They didn't care. To your point, you said earlier, like you're with your franchisees, you got somebody who takes pride in what they do and they feel like they're a part of it. It's theirs. That's what the greatest thing about being in the military. We went in the SEAL team. SEAL team, that may, it's yours. Mm. And whatever becomes of it is up to you. You're not going to work for somebody. Mm. You own it. Mm-hmm. So I would think something similar to what you guys. I mean, people come into y'all's place at establishment. This is my place. I'm gonna mm-hmm. treat it accordingly. If so every you have seal somebody were working like me, for you, where would the seals be? Mm-hmm. It's like if every every one of your employees were like me, where would where would yeah? Our team I, I don't be? I don't want to be cookie cutter. I've got one final question for you guys. I think they'll kind of just bring this all together. You talked about like laser focus earlier and kind of how that was kind of a pivotal moment for the business to kind of grow in the way it did. And something we don't talk a lot about on this show, we kind of always go to the never quit story. But I want to talk about 
the kind of final question for you is, how does planning or having a plan help whenever you face a huge moment of adversity? Let me see if I can tackle the never quit story and that question in one kind of short story. So in, in COVID last year, fortunately, the company aligned with, with what my thought process was, is that in the onset of it, we can trust the government to a certain degree, but at the same time, it's time to figure out our business and, and let us be us. And when we shut down, we were required to shut down in April. We didn't shut down ahead of time. We shut down based on when the county required it, which was an odd set. Because going into the pandemic, from the top down, which is, it doesn't matter if it's Republican or Democrat or, or, or Texas or New York, but top-down leadership just kept passing it down and saying, it's not my responsibility. And whether it didn't have the, the required law or the mandate or the desire, or the knowledge, it was an odd set because in a, in a, in a, in a business model, and in, I'm sure in the, in the SEALs, the leadership needs to be at the top, providing the direction. But we weren't seeing that. So that what happened there's going, no leaders there. Yeah, what, what happened going into the pandemic is it was just massive void of leadership. Some talking heads on CNN or Fox News and this and that and this and that, right? Battling each other over who was right or who was wrong, but then no one actually taking action, and no one providing direction, no one providing leadership. So we were all left in the dark. So what happened is each county judge was essentially left to decide what the county was going to do, which in a pandemic is the worst thing to happen because there's no consistency. So as these counties close down, our, our barbershops are forced to close down at the same time. In the balanced foods concept, our retail areas were forced to close down as well because we weren't a traditional restaurant, so we didn't have like a 25% occupancy piece. So we were allowed to operate, but we shifted to delivery-only type of mentality for most of the time frame. But on the barbershop side, because that's the bulk of it, each county decided, okay, it's time for this county to close. So Harris County closed before Montgomery County, long before, two weeks or so before because that's just the mentality of that judge versus Montgomery County's judge. Uh, but we had customers that would just cross the river. So there's no, there's no security protection there, no leadership there, because they would just go from, we literally have salons a mile apart from each other on bordering Harris County and Montgomery County. We have 12 locations that are within a half a mile of the county line between Harris County and Montgomery County. You kind of go along the Grand Parkway, if you will, uh, in, in North Houston. So as they're shutting it down, there's no consistency. So we kind of took the government at its word that, okay, April's a, a, a dark month. We'll figure this out as we go, fight together, take a breath, step back, hope for the best. And then by then we'll have some leadership and some direction. We didn't have it. We put together this massive plan for three states, uh, 47 locations, 48 locations at the time, 500 employees back to work. Zoom meetings and staff meetings and location visits. You know, we when we first closed down locations, we didn't know what was going to happen. So we went location, location, took all the liquor, all the beer, all the wine out of the store, the cash out of the store. So we essentially shut stores down, had to go through and re-inventory them. So we had, one of the things I did during the month of April is we had in our conference room that you've seen stacks laundry baskets of alcohol with a post-it on top of which store it came from. I'd go in my office during the month of April and I'd go, there's nothing I could do. I want to, but I can't do anything. So I'd work as best I could, figuring out what I needed to do. At the end of the day, I would just go over to one of those laundry baskets, grab me, <laughs> all right, today's Maker's Mark, and I'd go on home, right? <laughs> I mean, a couple of drink of Maker's Mark. So having to shut everything down and then restart it is much, much harder than just starting from scratch. Because starting from scratch, you have this methodical plan, right? Here's a store, here's a store, here's a store, and then you just replicate the process. But going through that unknown, hard stop, and then re-inventory, rebuild, and start up. So we created this massive plan, got everyone of the franchisees on board, 
because the thought process was, and everything that we heard from mumbling, even though there's no consistency in it, was May 1st, we we're going to be allowed to open. Allowed to open. <clears throat> I say it again in quotations. And then May 1st came around in the 30-day mandate, the executive order in the state of Texas specifically, because that was the only state we were active in at the time, was renewed. And our company was very, very upset. And we were very upset because it was, it was, it was picked and chose who got to open up. So we defied it and opened up locations. Well, like how? Like a coin toss? Digging into the details of it, there was a task force that Governor Abbott created that would go through the retail reopening plan. And the task force is essentially a lot of great people, um, but it was no one from our industry. No one at all from the fitness industry, from the health industry, from the spa industry, from the beauty industry, yeah. right? Okay. So you think of, you know, if you think of every barbershop, every haircut place, every massage place, every nail spa, every hotel spa, every fitness center, every gym, everything. There was no nobody representing any of those industries on this task force. So what happened unintentionally, I think, but just because there's no one speaking for us, is movie theaters were allowed to open up on May 1st, but barbershops weren't. Uh, jewelry stores were allowed to open up, but barbershops weren't. And I looked at it and I said, that makes no sense at all. You can't tell me for a second. And that data and backup plans that the training that a cosmetologist has to go through uh, in order to be able to get a license, right? We're talking sanitation and health and cleanliness and close encounters is all we do that we're not better prepared with our cleanliness standards than the kid serving popcorn at AMC movie theater. I, I, I just don't believe it. I don't believe that mattress firm as good of a company as it is, was better prepared from a health aspect or a pandemic aspect to open up from us. So the whole plan that we had, this massive plan pretty much got scrapped. And we had an entire company that a pivotal point for us was they could have turned on me and our plan easily and said, you're a fool, you should not You should have waited, you should have done this and that, which a lot of our competitors did. They sat back and said, we're going to open up in July or August. And, and we don't care if the employees go find other work. And we don't care if they can't pay rent. And we don't care if the customers need to be taken care of. Where my job was to get everybody back as fast as possible because they have rent to pay. Majority of our employees on the, on the tune-up side are females with kids. You know, we have... 590 cosmetologists and barbers and probably 550 of them are female. Kids, houses, rent payments, electric, so on and so forth, car payments. They're worried. Their worry becomes our worry. So we defied the governor, sued him, had a couple of state reps, Briscoe Kane and Steve Tote, come in and reopened. Called the news media, called the cops and ourselves, uh, and challenged the order. Um, they didn't shut us down, and then we were allowed to open up on May 7th. So just one of those things, it was a civil disobedience from a business perspective that some people say we were greedy or we were selfish or we, were, we weren't thinking about the general public. But then when you dig into the details of it, we we're thinking about our employees. We we're thinking about our staff. We we're thinking about the consistency from the government. So that's kind of, it was a, it was a never quit story. But one of the beauty of it is I'm only one person, so I couldn't execute 47 story openings successfully. The team was 100% behind the plan. Because if you have the right plan of action and you have the right conviction for it and it makes logical sense, the team will follow. So regardless of government officials or their thought process, which a year and a half later, they're still on the same page, right? They're more divisive in, in defensive of each other and pointing the finger instead of trying to find solutions or trying to find points to blame. So we just kind of stop paying attention <clears throat> to them. That's how nothing gets done. I'll address that. Uh, on the personal level, since Anthony took the business side of it, focus is a funny thing. And Marcus uh, and Morgan, you guys too, you know this uh, from any of the teams and then just from your study with cognitive science and neuroscience. Um, focus is a funny thing. Most people don't wake up with focus. 
they wake up and they're going to let the day dictate how they feel and what they do. It's, it's, it's a game of, of pinball. Um, but then once you realize uh, our greatest commodity is our focus, it's our attention. And if we're putting our attention on the things we, 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 we failed at, uh, how hard things have been or, or the things that you don't know that, but you do have to kind of figure out, but maybe because you haven't focused enough on your self-confidence of accomplishing things about what you've done, then you're going to just let the, let the whole world dictate where you are in life and how you're perceived. So when I started to kind of figure out, I started to really dive into my own attention from when I was an athlete. You know, how did I at 13 years old get on my bike and ride 120 miles? Focus. I just got on my bike, looked at the road ahead. I didn't look at the pain I was suffering when I was going up the hill. Matter of fact, I did hill repeats because I realized the more pain I was in was exposing limits. And if I wanted to be the guy that crossed the line to finish in first, I had to continually face my limit, face my max rep, and then push a little bit more. So when I start, I stopped looking at the element of, of it being hard and going, that's what I need. I need the failure as a, as a bodybuilder. You need to hit failure or else your body's not going to respond to growth. So if, if my focus is on what I haven't accomplished, the pain of the moment, then I'm never setting myself up to actually go, I'm going to follow through. So like I write, it's called a power five. And I, the night before I go to bed, I write down five non-negotiables that I'm going to complete the next day. Then I have my radar list of other bullet points. And, but my day's not done till I finish those, those, those five to-dos, a mix of business and personal. And, and every day when they're checked off, and usually more on that list, I've helped myself with my self-confidence, realizing the list doesn't control me, I control the list. But then I had five things that I set out to do, and I did them. It chipped away on my long-term goals, because these are short-term mailboxes that I call them, that are getting me along that way. But that focus part of, if I get up and, I, and I'm not even looking at my year of what, I'm, what I want to accomplish, you're going to end up in the same place asking the same question a year from now. You know, so if you're wanting to make actual change in your behaviors or habits or patterns, whatever, where's my attention? If my attention is on Netflix and chilling, if my attention is on gaming 24-7, if my attention is on the pains of poor me, I'm going to go nowhere. Right? So that focus, I realized, was the most important thing in my life. And when I was focused on being the victim, well, that I just keep repeating that. I keep finding myself in positions of being a victim. But when I finally... Is there a difference between being a victim and being a victim in your circumstances that you put yourself in? Like training, pain. It's like mm. you can be a victim of that, but man, that's part that you put yourself in it. Pressure's a privilege. Yeah, I mean, that's how you know you're yeah. in the game. Yeah. Because there's a, a feeling there. Mm -hmm. That's how you know you're competing in it. That's what pain is. Yeah. And then when you step away from it, it goes away. Mm -hmm. It's like leaving, the, leaving something. You step back into it. And there's... You can become a victim of being a victim, for sure. I think people think or forget, like one of the most horrible experiences in my life was during Hell Week, SEAL training. And I tell this story to people, is just, we had to dig this hole and whatever. But in order to be a SEAL, I had to get in that hole. Mm. Had to. My, my classmates and I had to get in that hole and be miserable. Be a business owner. You have to be miserable in order to be successful. I think people that have these dreams of and aspirations, they get in there and they get miserable, and they're like, "Oh, I'm hor I'm I'm so upset. I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm I'm anxious because I'm having to do all this. This is a volunteer program, and you're going to have to do these things in order to be successful." Yeah. I think people forget that because when pain and misery come come floating in, they're like, "Oh, this is not what I signed up for." Yeah, it is exactly what you signed up for. Uh, it's a just test. like lifting weights. Are you I mean, committed? Are you committed? You're lifting heavier weights when you go into the gym each time. You want that, yeah. And if you lift too much, it'll, it'll crush you. That, that's growth. It, it was know. dark during 2020, and I was in the office one day, and uh, I think we were doing some whiskey sampling. I don't know. We did a lot of that. Possible. And uh, uh, I asked him, 
I said, how are you getting through this? Because he's a guy, he's, he's not going to tell you, he's, he's not going to tell you his feels. You just get shit done. And I, I honestly wanted to, wanted to find out, A, how's the CEO of the company doing? But then how are you getting through this right now? He goes, whiskey and working out. It's my focus. Because that for him, and I think all of us are, you know, in our athletic pursuits, whatever we do, whatever level, that keeps us in touch with that pain, that pressure, that, that moment of, can I go one more rep? Yeah, I can. I can. Your body is in pain and your mind is saying I'm done, but you can go one more rep. Sure. I mean, that prepares like good, you for the next one. That's the gym. Yeah. That, that's the gym. It's like when you go in there, that's, you're lifting that. That's the type of weight. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't have to be physical. You can feel it. We were watching TV show, the Navy SEALs, movie Navy SEALs. Yeah. Kind of in. And the part where they launch out a submarine and take the boat down. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sexiest thing I ever saw on TV. <laughs> I mean, we were like. I that's what hooked you, wasn't I, it? It was. <laughs> oh, I was like, I got to do that. I want to do that so bad. Miserable. Miserable. That was the hardest job. I, I mean, I thought for sure we was going to die. I mean, it sucked so, so bad. We did mo- all the time. And I was like, I can't believe this is the one thing that recruited us in here because it was awesome to look at, right? And then when you get in there and do it, it's not that it's not awesome. It is. But getting in there and feeling that and going through it, it was, I mean, it's, it's something. So I'll ask you guys a question. So with you guys going through, uh, through Buds and Hell Week, um, mentally, you know, you know what you're going to face and whether it was the missions that you had, but going through Buds, when you started with day one, mentally, what, what kept you in the, in the position of, I don't have a limit to tap out or to ring out, but how did, you, how did you accomplish each task? Harder it got, the more challenging it got, the colder you got, the more uncomfortable. How, how, did, you, how did you keep your, your, your brain focused to keep in it? Well, you're only in it. Like people worry about the crap that happened yesterday. Well, only easy day was yesterday. That's our saying. Yesterday sucks so bad that there's no way you'd want to think about it. Some people dwell on a bad time. They just want you to feel sorry for them. With us, man, that ass woman was so freaking bad, dude. We didn't want to think about it. You definitely don't worry about tomorrow. We don't even worry about an hour ahead. I don't, I don't worry think about you could doing quantify that right answer. now. Uh, it's different because it's different for everybody. Right. But like he was saying, if he and I just kind of shop talking. You, you really get in the, in the mindset of nothing else matters or exists except for what I'm doing right now. Mm. And I'm willing to absolutely give my life. I'm willing to die. I'm not going to quit. So you're either going to have to kill me or the evolution will end. And it will. It will end eventually. I mean, even the hell week will end eventually. And if you don't say, well, my wife, man, she said that she'd love me if I came home. And fa- oh, that's an excuse. You got to live. <laughs> All right, here's what he, he look, sent me look, something. Look left, look right. And if there's, there was somebody standing there, and by God, if that some bitch right there can do it, I'm yeah. doing it. And eventually you stick around to watch the faces they make because they're so terrible. And start then you start finding the humor in it. Find the humor in it. And I, I, I was there, man, and about the, the 50th time I had to get wet and sandy, I was miserable. Uh, I would Isn't call that a sugar cookie? Isn't that what it's called? Yeah, sugar cookie. Yeah. I'd call him every, at the end of every day. I needed motivation. He was so, he's like, yeah, it's going to be great. You know, he's like, Tell me about getting wet and sandy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you want to hear about it. I'm like, nah. Well, he sent me this, the Hotel Del Coronado right down the, the beach. He sent me a newspaper article as this kid. He's probably four years old. He had swim trucks on him and swim goggles. And he was, there was a picture that was pretty good because he was jumping in midair into the ocean. And it had his name and where he was from and everything like that. It's like, this kid's, he was this so-and-so from somewhere. And he's like, he frolicked in the water all day, played and loved it at the Hotel Dell. And I was like, if this four-year-old can love being in that water all day, how can you not take it for that amount of time? And it's all a switch in your head. That's kind of like the minute you think, 
Because we all love playing and puzzle. going and in, getting in the swimming pool in, in March when it's freezing cold, right? Hanging out with your buddies <laughs> yeah. and the other. But the second somebody tells you to do it, yep. it becomes torture mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. That's the mental game of it. That's it's why like people don't, that's why people don't make it through training. Getting them in shape, man. They'll start doing push-ups for a second or for a minute. Be breathing hard, complaining and cussing. I was like, man, if you go in that bedroom with your girlfriend, you're doing push-ups for hours and wouldn't say a damn word. You know, it's, it's a mental thing. It's how you switch it in your head. Suffering, yeah. suffering. Like Mojo said, man, we don't like to be told what to do. It was like, hey, man, we're, we're doing this. All right, this, this is this. So This is going to suck. And it's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. and we're going to be there right. together. So you, you kind of have to to change a perspective mentally in the internal dialogue of going, you need to just lean into, you know, you're going to suffer. Right. But you know what? That suffering is going to, going to expose some things I need to get I, that are going to make me better yep. versus trying to avoid pain, avoid the suffering, which I think a lot of us try to do somewhat. Oh, that's, that's instinct. Everybody's risk adverse. Yeah, man, that, There's yeah. a very small fraction of human beings that will pursue risk. Most mm-hmm. people are risk adverse mm-hmm. because they, they're, they fear pain, misery, and suffering, where there is a fraction of individuals that quitting or failure is they'd rather die because of the... the what is, the, what is yeah, risk? The word. To them, it's probably not a risk. because It's a loss of something through, important. Yeah, they've already right? been through parts of it. Most people look at it like, hey, how could you even attempt to do that? And he's like, well, I, I did all this first. Yeah. So when you're sitting, it's like with safety standards. The only safety standards until you hadn't studied Starts enough. H. Right? It's like, do we train? Do we get it right? Or do we train? Do we not get it wrong? We call it mm. opportunity cost. You know, we're so confident that our brands are the best in the world at what we do. And if, if we either believe it or we don't, and since we believe it, why aren't we growing? So we have no choice but to grow because yeah. the opportunity cost is massive for us not being there. Because if someone's, they're going to get your haircut. Yeah. I want it to be with us. We have to grow to make that happen. So it's not you're going to eat healthy food against those other salons, man. It's just a matter of you competing. Just go, yeah. go, go in yeah. and look at how everyone else is doing, man. Just go in and do your thing. Previous concepts, and in the beginning of tune-up, we used to compete heavy with the competition. I used to track and monitor them. I know what they did in sales. I know their traffic patterns. One of the things they did in the restaurant a long time ago when I was opening new restaurants, I was 18, 19 years old, was I have to sit in the parking lot like a competitor and do a traffic count. Yeah. So I'd sit in the parking lot out front of an Outback Steakhouse, and I'd sit there for three hours and count the cars. And I had to walk around the parking lot every hour and tell me how many license plates were from Mass State for where I said I was in. And I have to go to the bar every hour. I have to walk in, go to the bathroom, and leave, and try to be seen, kind of thing, and count the guys at the bar and how long the guys stood at the bar. And then we take all that data and we do like a, a kind of a, a breakdown of our competitors. And I did that a lot for my first couple of businesses, where I would really, really focus on them. What What are they doing today? I can do that better tomorrow. And I kind of stopped doing that, really, this last couple of years, and just started focusing on competing against ourselves. Right? If a salon took care of 400 customers this last week. Let's do 410 this week. Sure. Right? If we open up two locations last month, let's do three this month. Because if you're focusing on right? them, you're not focusing on yourself, yeah. right? I, of course, I pay attention to the competition well, a little I, bit. That, you that know, recon, that's that's, I mean, that's what we were trained to do, and that's mm. exceptional, mm-hmm. right? And what you start to see is like, hey, man, if you watch them, there's a difference between looking, seeing, and watching. Those are the same, but they're different. It's kind of like air, water, and ice, right? <laughs> same, it starts with H. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is how much they're paying attention to us, yeah. right? And in, 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 in the barbershop and in, in hairstylist world, a lot of it's in a negative way. Right, where they create fake, you know, a good portion of his job is just going through and figuring out how to delete and report fake <coughs> reviews, That's Yelp or Google, that kind of stuff. Right, it happened two days ago in a new location in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. A competitor created a Yelp account and put our store on blast. Didn't go in the store, store didn't open up when they did the review. They just preemptively re- pre- bad reviewed it. There's no upside there. 
but that wasted energy. So while they're doing that, while they're focusing on trying to take us down, we're out marketing to gain five new customers. Yeah. I'll take, I'll do that every day of the week. Oh. So that's kind of an interesting piece of it. Sure. So what's the next phase of evolution for you guys? Growth. Mm-hmm. Growth. Just the, the 22, mm-hmm. uh, 2022 model? Looking at doing anything else, creating another company, or we, just going to handle what you, you know, got? What, I really want, what we all really want to do, if I had a blank piece of paper and unlimited capital, all I would do personally is just create new companies. I love it. I love the, the white space to open sign being on, right? In a retail format. Direct consumer goods, interaction. I don't know anything about tech. I'm useless at tech. I don't know anything about. You better figure that out real quick. <laughs> Metaverse. That's, that's why I got MD here. As long as he's my friend, and he's working with me, then we're good. So, but, so, but what we want to do this next year is we want to stay laser focused on these three brands. We have such potential in the retail format. There's this thing that happens every single year. It always happens. You'll hear it on all the news channels in the month of January. The retail's dead. Their holiday season's over. Retail's dead. Which next big box brand is in go out of business? I've heard it every single year for the last. 15 years. Bad retail is always going to die. Retail doesn't evolve is always going to die. So you're always going to have Blockbuster going out of business or Radio Shack going out of business or JCPenney scaling down or GNC scaling down or, right? Businesses that don't evolve and mature. Yeah. So what we're really focused on is the evolution and maturity of our current brands Mm -hmm. and the growth of it. So how do we take a successful model and tune up and continue to have it be the best interior design, the best staffing, the best training, the best procedures? While we take the existing stores and also improve them at the same time, yeah, that's, focus on that's the a hell of a challenge for us. You'll get the numbers, <laughs> people first. You focus on the customer experience and taking care of them. You'll get the numbers if you can constantly innovate your infrastructure. You said Blockbuster Netflix case study, one of the best ones I ever read. If you can continue to stay ahead and do the things that they are not, you will not fail. And that's just a matter of watching your client tell other people, right? Because they, they, they show, they'll show you the shift. Mm-hmm. You can watch it. Market it speaks for itself. Retail will always be there, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't have nothing to do. Mm-hmm. We, we want to do retail. We just want a good retail experience. And if you're going to give me consistently bad ones, that's why we love online. Because we'd rather take a risk of something being broke or wrong when it finally gets delivered than having a... We know we're going to have bad customer service when we go somewhere. We, we inherently already assume that. So now the, the businesses that are retail that actually over deliver a great experience, not just, hey, thanks for coming in, but actually mean it. And then with actions every day consistently, those sure. are the brands that win. The ones that are all about utility and process, they keep dying off because they, they're missing the Because they lose contact with their customer. Bingo. Do you take one store's dynamic over to another store that's not doing so well? Like watch the interaction <laughs> of how in one store, your, your number one store sit back and watch how that thing plays out, how their interaction, what they're saying, what they're doing, and take that down to the number 60 yeah, and go, right. hey, this is what's successful. I know it's given the just biometrics of that specific spot, but, you know, somebody else did Y'all that. They would take shop? the top 10. Y'all advertise your top shops? And put the bottom 10 yeah. together. Oh, cool. Yeah. You know, what's unique as we grow, I thought we were going to have a lot of success with TuneUp as we go more into urban markets. You know, so Uptown Dallas, Gallery of Houston, Rice Military, you know, where these just massive, nah. global, concentrated people. With our concept and the customers of our concept, these smaller outside markets, top locations of the company, Rock Lubbock, solid. Amarillo, New Caney, yeah, Magnolia, Conroe, uh, Humble, kind of the outside. Because what we really focus yeah, on for Humble. our customer base, 
Oh, I said it real humble. Oh. Now, you, <laughs> yeah. I forget the guys in Texas don't pronounce the H part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, and that's leads right into our customer base. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we're really focused on growing. Uh, and that's where we'll grow a lot of our new markets is kind of the outskirts of urban cities. That's the Walmart Kmart model. That's what Sam did. And then he took it all. Become part of the community. They started in the small cities, surround yeah. the big cities. Yeah. And then everybody in the big city started coming out to the outside. Yeah. And then he took it all. Mm-hmm. Discipline, though, is also how Walmart outgrew Kmart. There's a book called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And it's a comparative study against similar concepts and why one's so good and one's so bad. And with Walmart starting in Arkansas and, and understanding they may not be the sexiest part of the country, but there's people there and their products are desired and they can grow there. And then growing outside in a very, very methodical method. So they grow from Arkansas to Alabama to Mississippi to Texas to Oklahoma to so on and so forth. Whereas Kmart started in Chicago. Big and city. Grew Chicago, Boston, L.A. Yeah. And then Sam says, right? like, what is everybody going around in, in town so doing? That's part of the discipline. Put it in my store. Because growing into a new market. You know, we're growing to our Florida market right now. Uh, Southern California, Wisconsin, and Tennessee. The second location was twice as hard as the first location because the first location we could be there at all times. We're always there. We're inside the four walls. We're there to open, there to close, there to talk to the customers. But when you have two stores, you can't be in two places at once. When you're in two states, you can't be in two states at the same day. And when you're in five states, so that's that's the challenge for us is how do we replicate the process while maintaining the discipline as we grow outside of this Texas market. You got to find somebody like y'all. Yeah. It comes to the right franchisees that believe in the vision of, of what TuneUp really gives, what a balanced foods really gives, what a martinis really gives to the community. Because um, ultimately, it, yes, we have a barbershop hair salon for men. Yes, we have a, a meal prep company called Balanced Foods. Yes, we have a nail salon. But ultimately, what do we do in every single one of the customers' lives that walk through our door? We improve their self-confidence because it comes down to image and how they feel. And so when everybody started to really understand that was the real role of what we do, of all of our locations and all of our brands, there was kind of this, never thought of it like that. Yeah. You mean when I, when I had this customer for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and by the time they leave, I'm actually improving their self-confidence, you now have this greater purpose yeah. about what your role is in the company. Stick, stick to what you know and what you're good at. Yeah. It's like ball. What, do you, what, what does ball do? Yeah. They make containers. They don't make jars. They, yeah. don't make, they make containers. Yeah. And one of the oldest companies in the world. It's a pottery company from Japan. They make pottery. And then Beretta. They make guns. Like, like 13, you know, I mean, it's been around. There's some companies that's been around since 1200. I still haven't figured out that fucking word. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like two hours from now. That's what's going to happen. Humble. Humility? <laughs> We're going to say all the H words. Anthony, MD, thank you guys for being on the show today, sharing so much wisdom. How can people support you, all of our listeners? What, what can they do to support you guys and what you guys have got coming up? 63 locations across five states. Stop into one of them. Give us some feedback on the experience. Uh, come in to tune up, enjoy a haircut and a, and a cold beer, a drink, come into balanced foods, get some healthy takeout meals. It's convenient, packaged right. Uh, send your wife, send your girlfriend into martinis and manicures, get her looking good with a manicure and pedicure. Uh, anybody interested in franchising or joint venture projects or even above that level, tiltedconcepts.com. Um, uh, go walk through that whole setup. My email is anthony at tiltedconcepts.com as well. Awesome. Is there, has there anybody had the haircut in every one of your shops? Is that, is that a competition Ooh. yet? Might be a fun challenge. Like, Chal- that, yeah, challenge like that. There's that couple that visited every Cracker Barrel challenge? in the country. What is it? There's a couple, a husband-wife couple. It took them like 20 years. They went to every Cracker Barrel. Oh, gee. oh wow. It's oh, like took the map, right? Yeah, 570 Cracker Barrels. They visited every single one of them. <laughs> Y'all should do a tune-up challenge and you get like a challenge <laughs> coin at the end. 
It's a good idea. Free haircuts for life if you go to every store. You get your idea like with uh, the college guys, you got a sticker. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. If you like today's show, please share it with a friend. Let them know why the Team Never Quit mentality is just so damn awesome. And if you haven't already, make sure you're following us on social media, teamneverquit.com slash social. Until next time, everybody, we will see you guys next week.